When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Young Bucks Podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates Prospects Podcast of choice. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Pruger. As always, we are bringing you the heat in the business about your Pirates prospects. And Corey, the Pirates might say that wins and losses matter in the minor leagues, and there have been championships throughout in Bradenton and Greensboro last year and in Altoona just a few short years ago. Now... I think Bradenton has the best chance to win a championship this year. And I think they might, they might get it done, but let's be real. Not everything comes down to wins and losses in the minor leagues because wins and losses in the minors aren't the same as wins and losses in the majors. Yeah. I'll be honest here and say, I don't think that the pirates really care a whole lot about championships or anything like that with this regime. I I do think Neil Huntington and Kyle Stark and, those guys did care about it. And not that it's the end-all, be-all of winning a minor league championship. But the more important thing is called an organizational win. It's something that we focus on a lot in the minor leagues. And Jared, your favorite player, Altoona Curve pitcher Luis Ortiz, turned in and what, would, what you would consider an organizational win on Friday. Luis Ortiz pitched five-plus innings, struck out 10, no walks, Allowed seven hits, a home run, but was throwing upwards of 100 miles an hour. If you look at this stuff, and this is what you've talked about literally for, I think, weeks at a time. We've never gone on this podcast without mentioning Luis Ortiz, but because he's got great stuff. He ended up losing the game because he gave up three runs, um, gave up a run in the first, gave up two runs in the sixth. So the Altoona Curve lost that game, but Luis Ortiz made good strides as a prospect. That's the interesting component about the minor leagues when you look at an organizational win and you look at a guy like Luis Ortiz, hey, that's a nice outing. That's going to help him maybe someday, all things considered. But his team lost the game because ultimately he gave up some untimely hits. Yeah, and, you know, looking back, they weren't always, they weren't the, you know, the hardest of hits, but that's baseball, man. Mm-hmm. You, you're, but, yes, this is a Luis Ortiz hype show. Um, stay tuned for next week for more about Luis Ortiz. Uh, and how I feel about him after seeing him pitch here in Altoona this week. But that's the thing. So, so Corey, there, there are organizational wins and there are organizational losses. And we'll get to the losses here in the second segment. But an organizational win, I think, for the Pirates this year also has been Mike Burroughs. 
you know, for him to come along like he has, you know, last year in Greensboro, this year in Altoona, uh, and and now he's starting to turn things around in Indy. He's, you know, he he's come around to be a legitimate, legitimate prospect. He was in the MLB Futures game. Now, obviously, you know, a lot has happened since then, but he's finally turning that corner. So it's not just in Altoona that their organization wins, but they're throughout the system. You know, in Altoona, they also have Andy Rodriguez, who I think might be the best prospect in the system right now. Now, he might not have the highest of ceilings, but he's he is playing some very, very, very good baseball. Yeah, Andy's been crushing the ball since he got to Altoona. Just fantastic. And really continuing what he did to finish off his Greensboro run. But the concept of the organizational win is interesting because, now listen, folks, this is where the rubber meets the road in the minor leagues. If you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan and you only care what happens to the Pittsburgh Pirates, you don't give a damn if the Altoona Curve or Indy or Bradenton or Greensboro wins on a given night. You couldn't care less. You just want to see Luis Ortiz throw 100 miles an hour. You just want to see Mike Burroughs get his innings in and, and, and have good numbers. Jared and I actually cover the minor leagues. We cover a minor league team. And so what is fascinating is the curve have had a lot of success, specifically in double A, nine playoff appearances, two Eastern League championships. And we've always told that winning is important in double A. When I say that I don't really think winning is important in double A right now, I, I, I mean, I, I just, this is a very different scenario with Ben Charrington. They're moving guys up a lot quicker. They're not going to go sign the 27-year-old free agent that they, you might need to help you get to a playoff berth in A in August or September or what have you. But from an organizational win standpoint, as long as your guys are developing, O'Neill Cruz or Alonzo Contreras last year, Jack Sawinski this year, uh, if you get Henry Davis, if you get Mike Burroughs, Quinn Priester, the Pirates don't really care about the Altoona Curves record or maybe even Indy. We care, Jared, because we're watching it and we got to talk to Kyron Madison. We got to talk to these players. And I do think fans who go to minor league games do care to a degree if their team wins or loses a game. But I, I just think we're in a completely different era now with regards to what a playoff appearances or a, a appearance or a championship runs mean run means to this organization. Yeah, I mean, I think to the players it matters, but I think ultimately, you know, you have to you have to be able to win, you have to be able to lose, and and a minor league loss is much different than a major league loss, right? You go out and you're facing Noah Syndergaard or you're facing Max Scherzer in the major leagues. Here, you know, you're you're facing somebody that doesn't necessarily know what's coming next um, or guys holding on to their careers. And it's just so different. And, and it's different in a good way. But that's also the thing, too, that's unique is, you know, like you take a look at the Eastern League, and, and we spend a lot of time talking about Altoona because we're familiar with Altoona. We're not Indy um, or Greensboro or Bradenton as much as maybe we would like to be in Bradenton in August. Uh, maybe not Florida is probably not a right choice, but maybe April or May we'd like to be in Bradenton. But the Eastern League, they have a split season. So the way that works is there's a first half champion and a second half champion um, and, in both divisions. And you look at the San Francisco Giants, double-A affiliate, Richmond Flying Squirrels, right? They won the first half. Um, and now they're at the bottom of the league in the second half. Well, guys get moved up. Every right. organization has. And, you know, the, the Altoona Curve have actually played pretty well the second half. They just keep running into this buoy team that it just breaks their heart. Right. But, but the interesting thing is, let's get back to where Luis Ortiz before we finish this segment. Luis Ortiz can throw 100. That's great. Can he get a guy out 
when the when it get, when it matters. You know that that to me is why winning does matter in the minor leagues, and why an organizational win is important when you get a good night's performance out of Luis Ortiz. But in a one-to-one game, when you're in the sixth inning and you're going through the order again and you give up a couple runs, that's a loss. And so wins and losses are not necessarily the be-all, end-all for a pitcher. We know that. Other things can happen. But my issue with Ortiz has been, I don't know if he knows how to win, okay? He's got this great stuff, but I do think there is value in learning how to win and, and get outs when you need outs in certain games. And to be perfectly honest with you, that's why me as an old timer, I've covered the minors for 30 years and I have a hard time, Jared. I'm, I'm, I'm that old guy that is having a hard time transitioning to this era where wins and losses don't matter in the minor leagues. Cause my whole career wins have kind of mattered because the pirates have sucked at the big league level. And we've been told for 25 years, they're teaching these guys how to win in the minor leagues. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case this year. Yeah. And then, you know, that's the unique thing about minor league sports, right? I mean, yeah, Luis Ortiz can go out there and throw six great innings. Maybe he has one crooked inning uh, and that might be, it gives up a run or two or three or whatever, but it happens to him every time. Right. You know what well, I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I understand that, but as I, like, as I was trying to say here, you know, he could also go out and do that and throw six shutout innings or only give up two or three runs, but the hitters might not do their part or the bullpen sure. might do their part. So, so when we talk in the grand scheme of things, it's so unique or it's so weird to talk about wins and losses now as pitchers because that used to be the stat. Oh, well, he's a 20 game winner. Right. Well, 20, first of all, I don't think that's going to happen very often anymore, but at the same time, like that's great. That means, you know, obviously he pitched well enough to win 20 games uh, and put his, you know, team in, in great shape, but it also means that other guys did their part too. And, you know, as a starter, yeah, you're, if you give up four first inning runs, you, and this happened the last homestand, they ended up getting a win when that happened. And he might leave, might, might give up a crooked number, but then you throw five innings after that that are pretty good. And then the team comes back and, and everything happens. But, you know, when you look, when you evaluate the wins and losses as pitchers, it's so difficult because, you know, what is the, what is the stat that you're looking for the most here? Right. And I think you have to really, be a lot more quantitative right. when it comes to pitching statistics because it, it does come down to can he get outs? Can he get that third out? Can he get that second or that third strike when he's uh, down 3 2? Can he get back from a 3 0 count? Can he f- put hitters away at 0 2, 1 2, what have you? Does he lose hitters at 2 1, 3 1, or you know, things like that? So it's just going to be one of those situations. There's got to be a lot more uh, quantitative data when it comes to, to pitchers than just wins and losses and, and ERA, because a lot can happen. And we see a lot of the bad balances and, and everything. And when you look at kind of the grand scheme of things in the, pre- in, the, in the press boxes, you know, there are a lot of times where organizations and teams are having an influence on whether something's ruled a hit or an error, if that makes any sort of sense. You're 30 years old. This should be right up your alley. All these newfangled metrics and numbers, and most people, young people, obviously, in the game has changed. This is, again, the old person in me fighting it because Luis Ortiz has pitched 114 innings. He's allowed 100 hits. That's terrific. 114 innings, 126 strikeouts. That's terrific. 126 strikeouts, 34 walks. That's terrific. His ERA is 464. That doesn't make any sense. 
That's my point. No, it does not. That's my point. Right. You got a guy shoving the ball up people's throat, and he's got an ERA near five in double A as a 23-year-old. This isn't a 2021-year-old either. And, and so again, he's five and nine record-wise, doesn't matter. But that's the fascinating component of what I'm talking about. And I'm, I, I know we're picking on Luis Ortiz. We're using him as an I'm example. I'm perfectly fine with talking about Luis Ortiz, Corey. <laughs> yeah, right. But we're just using him as an example. <laughs> yes. Those stats that I gave you. To, to, for me to follow up and say he's got a 464 ERA, that makes no sense whatsoever, given the stuff and the other numbers that he has. And that's why baseball is America's pastime, because really, a lot of the time, it just does not make any sense. Right. But what does make sense is the second segment of the Young Bucks podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. We'll catch you here on the flip side of this break. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Young Bucks Podcast, your Pittsburgh Pirates Prospects podcast of choice. I, As much as I love Luis Ortiz, Corey, I also love trying to spew that out every podcast. But it's just like, you know, we have, um, you know, the hodgepodge of somethingness, the hodgepodge of nothingness. We have a hodgepodge of organizational losses this year that, while on the surface, aren't really a lot, or maybe a big deal or, or what have you. But they do add up. And what I'm talking about when I say that, and I know we've talked about this quite a few times, is Henry Davis. And we talk about Nick Gonzalez. And even guys like Wyatt Matheson, who's missed you know a lot of the year, and Matt Gorski. Those are all guys that have been hurt, especially in Altoona, um, and that have lost significant development time as a result. You know, it, it's... Will they come back from their injuries? Yes, of course, maybe. I think, you know, Gorski, I think, is a little bit more severe just based on the, the status. Gonzalez is already back and playing very, very good baseball. And Henry Davis will be back this week. So, you know, you know, White Matheson is, is a little bit different. But those are the things when you talk about, you know, missing extended periods of time, because that's what stunts growth and that's what stunts development, because you can't get any better you know, physically on the field. Now, of course, there are mental reps and things like that. But when you're hurt, there's only so much you can do, you know, to get back on the field. Well, as you mentioned, the good news is Henry Davis will be, he's already back in Bradenton. He got hit in his first game. (laughs) I mean, good Lord. He did hit a home run down in Bradenton, though. He'll be back in Altoona this week. I'm guessing maybe Tuesday, but we'll see if it's a little bit later. Um, we discussed this a, a, a couple months ago, I think, about changing the timeline because ideally the Pirates are horrible this year. I actually think the Pirates are going to be horrible next year. I'm sorry, folks, if you've got your fingers crossed that next year is going to be some big turnaround. I just think we're going to see a lot of this again. I'm hopeful that 2024 will be the year 
Luis, or, or, or I'm sorry, O'Neal Cruz will really be coming into his own. Brian Hayes will still be there. Maybe Brian Reynolds is there. We'll see. But then you got the guys like Mitch Keller, maybe Mike Burroughs, Quinn Priester, a lot of these other guys, uh, Henry Davis, Nick Gonzalez. But what what this what really sucks about this year, Jared, is it changed. I think it changed the timeline for a lot of these guys when you have to miss a month or two of key development time in the high minors. It's not gonna it's not gonna ruin Henry Davis's career. It's not gonna ruin Nick Gonzalez's career or anything like that. Um, but what it does is it pushes their arrival time in Pittsburgh back a little bit. And again, what we really harped on a, a little while ago was that window of opportunity that the Pirates have. You're only going to have this certain one or two year period while you've still got Cabron Hayes and Brian Reynolds and Mitch Keller and all these guys, because then you're going to trade them and you're, and you're going to lose them to, to, to free agency or what have you. So when, when your, your young prospects are pushed back any level of time, the organizational loss for me this year is that loss of development time and what that might do to the window of opportunity here in two or three years for the Pirates. Right, it narrows it down. Maybe it's an old wooden window now rather than a brand new window that opens pretty easily. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to say how good the, or bad the Pirates are going to be. There's no indication that they're going to be very good. Um, and every indication kind of points to they're still not going to be any good at all. Um, when you look at it on paper, of course, Brian Reynolds and Brian Hayes are all pieces to... Um, you know, build around you know, Neil Cruz, you know, he hits the ball super hard. Uh, you know, Monday night, he hit a ball 117 and a half miles per hour. Um, you know, I think it almost went through the stadium uh, in Milwaukee. But, you know, there's much more to, to that than to hit the ball hard, you know, than, than meets the eye. And then you, you look at a guy like Henry Davis and it's a shame because you, you get so excited you know, to, to see a guy like that play, right? Number one pick uh, out of Louisville, catcher of the future, it seems on paper. But, you know, to not see him be able to play, it sucks. And you look at the Pirate and the Curve roster, especially. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That The Curve have never been fully healthy this year. And this is a team that was – and we, we raved about this. I remember Alex and I raved about this on podcasts to be named later. The curve were supposed to be where it's at this year. The curve were supposed to be the exciting team because they got all the top prospects. They had Piguero, they had Gonzalez, they had Matheson, they had Henry. They, we knew Henry Davis was going to be there. They had Priester, they had Majinski, they had Lolo Sanchez, they had Jack Sawinski to start the season. So they had all of these guys. They had Jared Triolo, great first name, by the hey, way. Hey, Triolo, by the way, has had a really good year. I'm glad we have not talked about him a lot. That guy is a legitimate major league guy. He can hit and he's got a tremendous glove. I'm just glad you mentioned him. Yeah, right. So that's that's the thing. You know, they've had these guys there that, you know, they just have him healthy. You know, Nick Gonzalez, bad luck. Um, you, you know, Piguero gets called up and really hasn't been the same. But a lot of these guys, again, are adjusting to this type of this type of style here. But yeah, it, it's you know, you want to see those guys perform. You want to see their development go naturally. And when it's natural, it's great. Like Mike Burroughs comes in, shoves, gets promoted, and struggles. There is benefit and struggle. I mean, you look at Ron Contreras, and, you know, I'm not quite sure why they sent – I mean, I know why, exactly why they sent him down, but that's neither here nor there. But last year, they wanted to see him struggle because you have to get better. You have those mental reps, Right. And you have to be able to handle adversity in baseball. You know, you can throw every pitch and it's not always going to be a strike. It's not always going to be a strikeout. 
But again, you know, they, he struggles a little bit and that's great. Burrow struggles a little bit and that's great too. But when you talk about organizational losses, it's, it's not seeing those top prospects on the field because in order for them to be in Pittsburgh, they got to get on the field. They're not going to be called up if they're hurt in, you know, Henry Davis, bad luck because the dude's a ball magnet. And I'll be interested to see how many times he gets hit, but all the, all indications from what I've heard out of Bradenton are that he's going to be in Altoona this week should be, should be good because now you're going to have Davis. You're going to have Sanchez. You're going to have, you know, Matt Frazier, hopefully, you know, can end the season on a high note. Gonzalez, Pagaro, yeah. Priester. This is Aaron Shackelford, baby. Hey, look, hey, you know what? Hey, let's shut up and talk about Aaron Shackelford for a minute. Now, look, I don't we I don't think that we've mentioned Aaron Shackelford really this entire season on our Young Bucks podcast. He and I'm not sure Pirates fans really even know a hell of a lot about him. He he is leading the Altoona curve with 24 home runs. That's a nice number. Now he's 25 years old. Is he just outperforming because of his age? Maybe he's only hitting 247, but he's got an 844 OPS. I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that Pirates fans need to be falling in love with Aaron Shackelford as maybe a future major league star, but we we want to give some love and some shout-outs to some guys that have had a nice year. Again, 24 homers. In, in Altoona Curve history, that's a really good number. I don't know if anybody's going to catch Adam Heizu's 31 from 2000 in any time soon. But congratulations, Aaron Shackford. He, he, he's he's a good dude. He's come out and he had, he's had a good year. Andres Alvarez is another guy that we don't talk about at all. Uh, he's he, I think he'd hit like six or seven home runs in his entire life, and that includes college. He's come out he's got 20 homers this year, Jared. We need to mention more of these guys that have really – uh, 19 homers for Andres. But some of these guys that have really had, they've had opportunities because of injuries to some other people and they've made the most of their opportunities. Yeah. Like Alvarez, I think and he's, if, if I'm Kyron Madison, he's the guy I want up when it matters the most. Right. I think he's one of the, the clutch, one of the more clutch hitters, you know, in that Pirates organization, Pirates organization, but also in Altoona. Right. And I think that's, that's nobody's talking about Andres Alvarez. Right. He was he wasn't supposed to come up and stay, you know, guys like um, Luis Ortiz, you know, obviously we talk about him every podcast. Who? And Who? yeah, right. That guy. <laughs> but the guys like that, they're, they're Didn't really we already the spent 10 minutes on Luis Ortiz. Do you got to bring him up? I just wait until I bring him, slide him in there in the third segment. But, <laughs> but no, it's so you look at guys like that. that or yeah, Luis, right. or, Luis Ortiz. <laughs> I just dream of his, you know, of his slider. And. But guys like that that really aren't on radars, but they have significant seasons, right? And then you look at even in AAA indie, you look at guys like Jiwon Bay that are having good years, and guys like that, and and that really, it's not about necessarily ones and twos. And what I mean by that are the top prospects, so your top ten, top twenty, but it's also that depth that matters too, because you can only put so many players in the field, right? You know that prospect status. Once it once you get to the majors, all it is is an expectation. So when you get to the majors and you have to perform like the number one pick that you are, or the high prize Dominican product that you are, or this, that, and the other thing, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on guys like O'Neill Cruz, Mitch Keller, um, and guys like that. And will there be there's a heck of a lot of pressure on Henry Davis? He was tabbed the catcher of the future from day one, when he might not even end up as a catcher for the Pirates. So guys like Andy Rodriguez too. And when you see stuff like that, going back to the first segment, 
you know, those are, those are the organizational wins that mean the most. Um, because yeah, the prospects, they should be prospects, right? They should have success, but it's guys like that, that, that really, really add that depth to the pirates organization. And that's where they have faltered for quite some time. Since we're talking about prospects, let's take a break, Jerry, because in the third segment, we're going to get into some massive news that broke overnight Sunday and into Monday about unionization. I know this is a Young Bucks podcast, but I don't think we can go without talking about the un- incredible changes that are taking place in minor league baseball and, and how this could impact the future of all of this stuff. Absolutely. So we'll come back and talk unions when we get back after this quick break on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Young Bucks podcast. I'm not going to give you my little spiel like I did for the first and second time for the second segment, but I am going to bring up Luis Ortiz because guess what? <laughs> he can be a part of the MLB Players Union now. I'll tell you what. This, what are the odds? This is massive. Okay. Um, from players getting their housing paid for, which was huge, m- major, major component this year for the first set. Players getting raises this year, upwards of 25% across the board. Now news breaks overnight, Sunday and into Monday, about the Major League Baseball Players Association is seeking input from the minor leaguers about whether or not they want to unionize. Minor leaguers, minor leaguers can apply for a union card, then they can vote on whether or not they want to become a union. If you're just a casual baseball fan, you don't give a crap about this stuff. I've talked about this a lot over the years, that a lot of fans don't really care about the finances and business of the game, but this is huge because I think this will change minor league baseball in an enormous way forever. If minor leaguers are allowed to unionize and do unionize, then they can collectively bargain. Now you are talking about an an incredible game changer. Folks, minor leaguers make 10 to $15,000 a year. A lot of them. If they can collectively bargain, I'll guarantee you there could be a strike in minor league baseball within five years. Okay. If they're allowed to collectively bargain, would these salaries all, all of a sudden jump up into the 25, 30, 40, 50, 60,000 dollar range for a lot of these guys? What will it do to teams and organizations in minor league? This stuff is so fascinating to watch, Jared, because we are on the precipice of everything we've ever known about minor league baseball completely changing if they unionize. And let's be real here. This is all for the good. Housing paid for is for the good. Raises Mm -hmm. are for the good because these guys are paid essentially as if you worked at your local amusement park for the summer. That's right. That's a good point. And first of all, that's in that back then that wasn't with, they had to pay for their stuff. So they're living three to four people to a room. And these are grown ass men and they're in a hotel room at times. They're in cars at times. People in organizations that aren't the pirates are living out of their cars because they can't afford the rent at a townhouse or an apartment or wherever. And number one, shame on minor league baseball and shame on major league baseball for not stepping up sooner. Um, it's Let not me like stop they you don't right make there. money. Let me stop you right there because 
all of these things that we're talking about in Major League Baseball, in Minor League Baseball, do you know how much it would cost to fix all of this stuff? Raises across the board. You know how much it would cost a Major League team? Like $3 million. Mm-hmm. Now, look, that's a lot of money for me and you. We would take $3 million. They eat $3 million when they got to release some bullshit player who's not any good, and they'll just and they'll eat tens of millions of dollars. That's the difference of what we're talking about in minor league baseball. We're not talking they need 10, 20, 30 million dollars to fix all these problems. They need a few million each year to fix these problems. And that's how greedy, unbelievably greedy major league baseball has been in treating minor league players like like they're almost worthless. Yeah, they can get their big signing bonuses and all that, but in terms of salaries, it has been appalling forever how badly they've been treated. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, you hear the horror stories all the time about how they've been treated, why they've been treated this way. And it's so unfortunate, right? Because we're, we're, we benefit from having jobs, right? We're able to do this. And this is their job. But a lot of times, players had to take up second jobs in the offseason. And sometimes the risk of playing minor league baseball wasn't worth the reward. And now... You know, if I'm Rob Manfred, I'm sweating and I'm sweating profusely, not just because it's August and there's a lot of heat, but man, this could get messy really quick. If Major League Baseball doesn't actually do the right thing here and you got to pay them what they're worth. I mean, it's that simple. And I don't know what the solution is, but there's money to go around in these organizations. Of course, Bob Nutting pockets, what, 20 to 25 million dollars every year. That's dropping the bucket. That pays for more than most of the salaries. Uh, within the organization. And yeah, it's easy to talk about what you can do with other people's money because that's a lot of fun, right? It's not my money. I can spend Bob Nutting's money however I want. Uh, And it's great. And I would spend it on a lot of different things. But at the same time, you know, (laughs) you got to step up. And and the Pirates, I think, treat their minor leaguers very well. You know, we're in the clubhouse in Altoona and they've got a pregame spread, postgame spread. And it's delicious, right? And it looks so good. And you know, Bryce Harper went and played um, on a rehab stint within the Phillies organization this week. And, and this is why I hate that this is news. He bought the team two meals, right? Typically, the, the rule of thumb is the major league rehabbers buy the team their their postgame meal. Outback, the Outback Steakhouse, baby, or some Olive Garden or whatever. That's right. And and we've seen Joe Musgrove do it. We saw, you know, it was if we saw Francisco Cervelli do it, it seemed like every year because he was hurt rehabbing in Altoona at one point or another. But that shouldn't be a big deal. I mean, it's great that those guys did it, but that's how bad things are in the minor leagues where it's a big deal that these guys are being generous enough to pay 500, 600 bucks for a meal. Oh, um, that's like 30 cents for you, man. Right. Seriously. I mean, with these guys that make millions, I'm going right. to tell you the bad, I'm going to tell you the bad news though. This is the bad news, and I hope all fans are ready for this. Minor league baseball is going to contract again because of this. I have no doubt in my mind. If the players unionize and they are making more money, how many of you out there honestly think that major league teams are just going to all of a sudden start spending more money on all these minor leaguers? When they contracted a couple years ago and went from 160 to 120, they cut off a quarter of the damn franchises in the country. They did it for money because they didn't want to be paying all these short season guys that had very little chance of getting to the big leagues. They didn't want to be paying all the money. So they go from 160 to 120. Hey, Jared, 
I I feel ninety percent certain if there's a union and minor leaguers are making more money, we're we're going to see it go to ninety. We're going to see it go from one twenty to ninety. I think the, a, a level of low A. I think a level of A ball will go away. And so when when we talk, we need to be careful what we wish for. We always talk about the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Twenty five percent of the minor league players in this country lost their jobs the last contraction. And if we're going to start to see more players making thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. It's not like these big league teams are just going to willy-nilly start dishing out more money. They're going to fight. And again, Major League Baseball controls minor league baseball now. They're going to fight to eliminate even more jobs. Because look, what's the percentage of low A guys that get to the big leagues? Roughly, double A's are roughly 20%. Triple A is probably about 40, 50%. I think high A is probably around 10, 12%. What's low? What's the percentage of low A guys that get to the big leagues? Don't don't discount what I'm saying, folks. If this union stuff happens, I, I see Major League Baseball contracting another 30 or so minor league teams within the next five to 10 years. Yeah, and I think it's almost going to be a necessity, depending on how much these players are going to be make, making. If, it, if it's between, I think, you know, 30 and 40,000, I think they might be OK. But if it's between 40 to 60, 60 to 70 for the higher tier prospects or what ha- whatever you know then then it gets dangerous and you're but right dude, you just talked about the nuttings you think the nuttings are going to fork over a million or two more dollars for minor league salaries no, willingly this isn't, this isn't seven springs Corey. Uh, Come on, man. I, I gotta be careful where i tread here i do still <laughs> work for the altoona mirror my point is they're going to fight right to recoup though at money somewhere else yeah and i think that's that could be honestly that it could be very well found in media rights deals you know um Maybe they maybe they come up with something a package for MI minor league baseball TV or, or something like that. There, but what's going to be a shame is that they can't when they contract and they came in they made all these teams go through and make adjustments to their ballpark. And Altoona, what we're seeing there is they're going to be adjusting and, and making better their batting tunnels. They're moving um, bullpens inside. Well, not necessarily inside the stadium, but there will obviously there will be, but they won't be in play. Uh, and then padded walls. So when you go into a place, and, and this is, I don't think this is going to happen because I think Altoona has a great relationship with the Pirates and, and minor league baseball where they won't go anywhere. But you come in there and you say, hey, you got to do this, this, and this t- so that you can be a, an organization or whatever. And it's your dime. It's coming out of your paycheck. Mm-hmm. And to come back a couple of years later and be like, ah, just kidding. We're done. And you know, they, they created the draft league or the, and I think that's great. And the complex league I think is going to stay because there's no overhead there. They're just staying at the complex and they're able to play there, right? They're playing at pirate city. Um, but the, I think the, the place that you have to look in and where's the adjustment is probably the Sally league uh, or, or the Florida state league. And it's a shame, but that, that could be the very, very much be the reality. Yeah. And, It'll be interesting to see really where this goes because with base with Major League Baseball, they don't handle a lot of situations the right way. So I'm sure that they'll handle this uh, probably the worst way imaginable. Well, Jared and I are both in Altoona. I will say this. I do think this is – I feel confident about this that the Altoona curve will be okay. I, I felt unbelievably confident they would be okay in the first round of contraction. Yeah, I do think the Altoona curve would be okay, even if there was another round of contraction um, that maybe they might end up having to drop to high A. But the Altoona curve is so well situationally located in the Eastern League with all kinds of other double A teams that are in a short proximity. 
and the Altoona Curve have a tremendous ballpark. So I do think the curve is safe. Greensboro, Bradenton, you'd think Bradenton is safe because it's down there. What happens to the Green, Greensboro Grasshoppers? What happens to A-ball teams all over the country? 40, 40 franchises got axed a year and a half ago. Very sad. I know a lot of people in the State College Spikes, they're doing as best they can with the draft league. It's different. It's a different situation. But again, I just wanted to bring this up because, as I mentioned, when you start to make all of these massive changes in minor league baseball, there is a cost. And there, there's good that we want these players to make more money and get the money that they deserve. But if you're costing other guys' jobs, you know, will we be able to see, Jared, the Josh Harrisons of the world? I'll throw out Mike Piazza a little bit there, 60-something round draft pick. We'll be, be able to see the 20, 30th round draft picks in the future. Because if you have fewer jobs in the minor leagues, your chances of get, getting those diamonds in the rough become harder and harder. Yeah, absolutely. And every action has a reaction, right? I mean, we learned that in science class. And it's just one of those situations where, and the dangerous thing here is we just don't know what comes next. You know, when we when they contracted before, kind of knew what was happening next. It wasn't a shock the teams that were let go or had to contract. And it's a shame for those and for those areas. And, you know, and Altoona, we're fortunate, man. The, the curve have a lot of support. They're right off the highway and on 989. And, and even in central Pennsylvania, you they're in a two hour radius, right? You can go to Harrisburg. You can catch a spikes game. You can go to Williamsport. Um, and that's just, you know, right on 99, right. And, you know, 99 to the turnpike, um, and go to Harrisburg. So, you know, we're in a very good area as far as baseball goes. And then you go two hours east or two hours west, I'm sorry, and you get to Pittsburgh and another episode or another, you know, realm of minor league baseball. Uh, and then you can go to Erie or you can go to, to Reading. So I think, you know, as Pennsylvania goes, I think they're going, the Pennsylvania teams more often than not are going to be okay. Well, and we've had, we've but seen major changes. Anything can happen. That's right. We've seen major changes, but. I'll tell you, this is the crazy. This is going to end up being the craziest three to four year period in the history of minor league baseball. Well, let's buckle up, Corey. It's going to be crazy. Next week, we got a couple of special guests on the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about chemistry. We got Leo Verpagero and Nick Gonzalez, an adult interview happening this week at People's Natural Gas Field. Can't wait to bring that to you next week on the Young Bucks podcast. For Corey Geiger, this has been Jared Prugar on the Young Bucks Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We'll catch you all again next week. Mm-hmm.